The church is not a convenience story. The pastor clearly made it. It's not a social club or a spa, but we're an army, a called out assembly of believers that know and understand our marching orders are to preach the gospel to every creature. We're his feet, his hands, and by his grace, we must be his voice. been wonderful to be here this morning already the music and the announcements the testimonies have all been used to prepare us for what God wants to do a woman asked uh, uh, or a pastor asked a woman that was visiting one morning said did you hear my last sermon she said I hope so (laughs) you know hopefully tonight that uh, won't be your sentiment but we are so glad to be here Regina and I are thankful for what the spirit of this church encompasses when it comes to worldwide evangelism. We've heard our text, Psalm 67, if you would turn there with me, and we'll begin with that text. You know, your missions conference will end today, but it doesn't mean our missions emphasis will end. Your pastor very clearly made that uh, fact known And I want to encourage you to begin now praying and asking the Lord what he wants you to do because after the service there will be the opportunity to cast your vote on what you will do with worldwide evangelism. Um, Not long ago, a pastor friend of mine in Tacoma, I was preaching for him, shared with me that while he was sitting down near the tidal basin um, there in Tacoma, He would often go there to pray and just to look across uh, the basin there over to the city of Tacoma. And he said one night he was there and he could see the lights across uh, the bay. And um, and he sat there thinking and he was just overcome with with this emotion. God, I've never even been over there where those lights are shining. There's so many yet to reach. So much yet to be done. And he said, Pastor, he said, God seemed to speak to my heart. And he said, yes. And remember, you see a city. But I see the world. And that's what your pastor has tried to do these last few days is to turn our eyes upon a world that's still waiting to hear the gospel. I thought of Robert Moffat, who inspired David Livingston. He said, In the vast plain to the north I have sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. I'd like to say this morning, by way of introduction of the lesson, that Jesus Christ has given the Great Commission to every Christian. Five different times we find that notification to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And in Mark 16, he says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's the great commission. And that great commission today is our commission. It was not given just to missionaries, though I'm very grateful for the Dinsmores and for those that you support but it was given to all of us. And if we fail to share the gospel, then it ceases to be the great commission, but becomes tragically the great omission. I believe 
we will have to answer the question, if we fail to obey the Great Commission, what will we say in eternity when we face the lost, when we face God? Hudson Taylor said, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command that must be obeyed. Keith Wright said, Lost people matter to God, so they must matter to us. Keith Green said, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on the earth. And we all have a choice to make. Today, I want you to realize that we will either be a world-class Christian, or we will be a worldly Christian. And there is a difference. Worldly Christians are saved but they're self-centered. Worldly Christians pray, but mostly for themselves. A worldly Christian is interested in using God instead of God using them. Yes, we're interested in concerts and hockey and football and basketball, but never in missions or soul winning or, or in evangelism, especially in a worldwide campaign. But in contrast, world-class Christians know, first of all, that they have been saved to serve. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see, God has not called us to die for him. God has called us to live for him. And a living sacrifice has a tendency, once put on the altar, to crawl back off again. And God has called us to be a living sacrifice. Isaac Watts wrote, But drops of blood could never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. You see, world-last Christians know that they're saved to serve. You have a purpose in this life. And I'm thankful that Brother Dinsmore has, and his family has recognized that calling. And I'm thankful for your pastor. But tonight, all of us, when we pillow our heads, must ask God, what would you have me to do? World-class Christians know that they are saved to serve. But secondly, they are dedicated to making a difference. Jude 22 says, if some have compassion, making a difference. You know, to take ownership in the Great Commission is our responsibility. When we think about that, it says in Philippians chapter 1 that we are to stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's true. It's evident in this church that you're striving together. That rope, you're pulling together. The image, it'll continue to be in my mind that that rope is anchored to the cross and those pulling against it represent you and I and our pastor as we plead, come help us to hold the rope. We're striving together. Two men discovered this truth. One was on the porch. He was moving a washing machine. And a man was walking down the street and saw that he was moving the washing machine. He thought, well, I'll climb up the steps and help him. 
And he got up there and he began to help the man push the machine. And after about three or four minutes, he said, I don't think we're ever going to get this thing off the porch. He said, I'm not trying to get it off the porch. I'm trying to get it in the door. (laughs) How many of you understand it's important to strive together? It's important for us to pull in, in the same direction. And it comes down to the fact that Years ago in our church, we took the offering, the faith promise offering. And I remember everybody did what they could as our pastor challenged you to do today. But our ushers brought me a card and an unusual note attached to it. There was a picture. And on the back of the card in the picture was a note of it. It was a young teenage girl that put a picture of herself in the plate And the ushers thought it was a prank until they read where she said, I have nothing to give. So I give myself a living sacrifice. World-class Christians know that they're saved to serve and, and that they're to make a difference. And they know they're writing history by sharing his story. Now, when you say the word history, it's easy to to move past what I believe God wants us to realize. History is his story. James tells us, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. You see, world Class Christians know that they're participating in writing his story. Not in books that will pass from this world, but the next generation will read. But rather the books that God is writing where it says in Revelation chapter 20, and the books were opened. You know, when that small band of believers were given the Great Commission, no doubt they were overwhelmed How were they going to go to the world? How would they reach a world? Were they to to take and walk or ride camels or small animals? There were no jets or even ocean-crossing vessels. But today we have jet service. We have ships. We have every means of modern transportation and of technology And I can tell you today, there has never been a greater day to reach the lost. With all of the modern tools and technology of our day, I think it was Disneyland that said, it's a small, small world after all. We can reach this world. We must reach this world. The psalmist's request in Psalm 67 is that, first of all, God will be merciful to us. God be merciful to us. Church, hasn't God been good to us? Amen. Hasn't God been good to us? And then it says, and bless us. If this week you have been blessed by God, would you say amen? Amen. God, be merciful to us, bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us. Has he continued to show us favor? I say that he has. And then it comes to that familiar word in Psalms. It's called selah. It's a word placed in the text to encourage the reader, first of all, to stop, to look, and to listen. 
It's kind of like a railroad track crossing. Stop and look and listen. Listen to what God is telling us. When we see this, why would we need to stop and look and listen? It says only one reason, so that his way, and in your Bible, maybe you could put this in the margin, his way is the gospel. So that his way, the gospel, may be known upon the earth, this saving health. What is saving health? It's salvation among all nations. Several years ago, I was introduced to a term that I had not been familiar. It was a term known as a paradigm shift. It became pretty uh, well used over the last 10 years in the corporate world. But a paradigm shift is a major change in how people think and get things done in comparison of how it has been done in the past. Some people call it a rut. A rut is defined as a grave that both ends have been kicked out. A rut. Have you ever been in a rut? We can get in them. It's easy to do. Matter of fact, years ago, pioneers seeking adventure in a new life left Missouri and traveled 2,170 miles on what became known as the Oregon Trail. Almost a half a million people made that trip, and in their journey, more than 20,000 people died along the way. At one point near an especially treacherous stretch, a sign was posted that simply said, Choose your ruts carefully. You're going to be in them for about 60 miles. If we're honest, most of us don't like change. Matter of fact, some people will change when they see the light. Others people change only when they feel the heat. Scriptures are clear. When we get saved, there will be a change. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away and all things become new. And I told a man just recently in this church as I became a friend to him and looked forward to seeing him every week. I said, when you got saved, God gave your wife a new husband. He gave your children a new father. When you got saved, you're a new creature. And it's true for all of us. We're not the same. We must realize we must never be the same. After we've met Jesus, we have a mission. Alvin, you shared that with us. You showed us the mission from the, across the, three, the street to around the world. The mission's still the same. We've got to go and get out of the rut of our routine. And we've got to determine not to be a worldly Christian, but by God's grace become a world-class Christian. To become a world-class Christian, there must be a mental shift in our churches. We must have a heart and a hand ready for others. Missionaries are God-called servants of Jesus Christ. But they can't go without you. Our attitude and our perspective must change. Proverbs 14, it says in verse 23, And all labor 
there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. There's a lot of people that talk about it. And maybe even a missions conference, we begin to think about it. But what really is going to matter is what we do by the invitation of the Holy Spirit is to join together to be a world-class Christian. A world-class church that truly will make a difference. Now, how can we do that? To become a world-class Christian, first of all, we must shift from self-centered thinking to others-centered thinking. Now, we're all like children. I like the biggest slice of pie. I like the corner of the brownies. I like, well, never mind about me. You have the same thing. We're all like children. We like these things. And children only think about themselves. And uh, the words most often often spoken are, are mine or me or more. You know, even our magazines uh, reflect that. Our magazines are evidence that first there was life, then it narrowed down to people, then it became us, which keeps we but excludes them, and then self was the next magazine hit. And any minute now, I'm expecting the selfishness to, to contract the circle even further to where they just call it me. Alan Redpath said this. He said the secret that will cure every discord in our home, our communities, and our churches is when we stop seeking our own way and our own glory. I wish today that we didn't have to talk about it. But if we're going to become a world-class Christian, we must shift from self-centered thinking to others-centered thinking. The fact is, the only way that we can make this paradigm switch is to become more and more dependent upon God for everything instead of doing it myself. I appreciated so much what our brother Dinsmore said that God used to turn his life around was, first of all, he needed rest. He needed relationships. But every preacher has to come back full circle and realize we're relying upon God. Our gifts and our skills and our personality and our charisma and all of our drivenness will only take us so far. But it will always leave us empty without God. We've got to become more and more dependent upon Him. And when God gives us something, our first question should be, All right, God. What should we do with this? When God gives you a raise, when God gives you a gift, when God gives you anything, the first thing we ought to do is ask ourselves, all right, God, what do you want me to do with this? It's only then we begin to see his hand in everything, and then we begin to give thanks. In a note of sarcasm, Wilbur Rees described what it's like in a lot of churches and a lot of hearts of Christians. We only want a little bit of God. We want the rest of it to be all of ourselves. Wilbur Rees wrote this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man. 
or pick beach with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb and not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I fear that's not only what lost people want from God, but that religion without repentance, but it's also what we as Christians want. We want comfort without the cross. Today, there's little doubt in my mind that many in the church have been inoculated with a slight case of Christianity. And that's preventing them from getting the real thing. And, and it, our walk and our work and our worship is all impacted by the selfishness. The call of God for us to reach us is, is to change our lives. And by His grace, He bids us to come and, and to believe and to repent and to embrace Him. All of Him. Not just $3 worth of him. Then he commands us to go forth as lights in a dark world. Remember the gospel goes from the cross through the church to the world. The church is not a convenience story. The pastor clearly made it. It's not a social club or a spa. But we're an army, a called out assembly of believers that know and understand our marching orders or to preach the gospel to every creature where his feet, his hands, and by his grace, we must be his voice. We've got to shift, first of all, from self-centered thinking to others-centered thinking. Secondly, we must shift from local thinking to global thinking. An English Christian visiting recently in the United States said, you Americans are so concerned about being happy, as as if our kingdoms were the focal point of God's design rather than God's kingdom, the focal point of ours. Our business world thinks globally. Investors think globally. Church, do you know that God thinks globally? As a matter of fact, the only ones not really thinking globally are churches and Christians. The Bible clearly states that God is a global thinker. For God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten son. In Acts 17, he hath made of one blood all nations. In Colossians 1, 5, and 6, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you have heard before the word of truth of the gospel, which is coming to you as it is in all the world. Psalm 2, ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Ephesians 6, and as for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may openly my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And Jesus said in John 17, neither I pray for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. No wonder he said that we must be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. We talked about Sea of Galilee Christians and Dead Sea Christians, remember? The Sea of Galilee, Christian, are those that allow the same river that flows into the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, the Jordan River. But the Sea of Galilee, it comes in and goes out. But the Dead Sea, it comes in and it stays and becomes stagnant. We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. You see, the Great Commission is to be done simultaneous, not sequential. 
That's why we have all these different missionaries. We're not just going one country at a time. When Jesus said that you're to be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth, he meant to do it all at once. How can we do that? Let me give you just four thoughts. How can we shift from local thinking to global thinking? Number one, think globally. This may seem like a carnal thing, but we get so self-centered. We ought to just look at the news. While I was at the motel this morning, Israel flashed up and all that's going on. And, you know, the truth is we get so consumed with ourselves just looking at the newspaper. I'm not saying you can believe everything on the news and everything on the newspaper. But how many of you understand that there's a world right there that's on its way to hell? Think globally. Look what's happening outside of our own borders. Secondly, pray globally. We have missionaries around the world. I just love your adoption of missionaries, and I hope you'll never quit doing that. But pray for them. Give globally. That's what Faith Promise Missions is about. Imagine right here in a church in Surrey, B.C., you can put money in an offering plate, and it will go to Belize. It'll go to China. It'll go to Russia. It'll go with Derek Thomas and all of the missionaries that you love. It will be done because you give globally. And then finally, this may seem simple. Brother Dinsmore hinted about it. Go globally. There's something about a mission trip. I know that a mission trip will change your life. Jeremiah said it like this. He said, mine eye affecteth my heart. It will. You go to a mission field and you see the poverty and, and you see the darkness and the lost conditions of a world. And you realize we haven't reached them yet. I pastored for 40 years in a church and I never got over losing any of them. During COVID, the crime went up and escalated beyond control. And we often will hear gunshots. I was the victim of a drive-by shooter. I have often, in our neighborhood, we hear the ambulances and the police. And sometimes when I hear that, I think, I wonder if we reached them. I wonder if we knocked on their door. I wonder if we told them about Christ. We've got to shift from self-centered thinking to other-centered thinking. We've got to shift from local thinking to global thinking. Then thirdly, we've got to shift from temporal thinking to eternal thinking. We've got to develop an eternal perspective. Paul wrote, while we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I think if we're honest, so much of what we pour our lives into has so little value, eternal value. When are we going to get serious? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We get all consumed and I, I'm no different. I love to fish. I love to hunt. I love to do all those things. And uh, if you want to go, I have a rod and reel for you. I, that's something I enjoy doing. But really, what really does matter? 
We must be wise servants. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The only thing that has eternal value in this life is souls. When one of the most wealthy men in the world died, John D. Rockefeller, somebody asked when he died, how much did he leave? Somebody said from behind, he left it all. You'll notice as I did, I don't think you do it any different here in Canada than we do in the United States. Have you ever, have you ever seen a U-Haul or a trailer on the back of a hearse? See, you don't take it with you. But do you know what you have? Perhaps you could turn it into a missions offering. It could be something that you give. And, and that's the idea. We, we shift from temporal thinking to eternal thinking. Finally, number four, how can we become a world-class Christian? We shift from self-centered thinking to other-centered thinking, from local thinking to global thinking. From temporal thinking to eternal thinking, but finally we shift from making excuses to making a difference. An excuse, a friend of mine told me once, is the skin of a reason that's stuffed with a lie. An excuse is the skin of a reason that's been stuffed with a lie. Jesus met some of these excuse makers in Luke 14. When he invited them to come and, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. One had to buy a piece of ground and go see it. Another bought five yoke. He had to go prove them. Another said, I married a wife and I cannot come. I think he's the only one had a legitimate excuse. He just got married. But when we think about it all, Jesus said, no man having put a hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, when you give your life to Christ... Quit making an excuse. Don't look back. Look forward. You see, God does not want to use just some of his people or some of his churches. He wants to use all of his people and all of his churches for the same purpose. You can almost hear it. There's a call comes screaming over the restless wave. Send the light. Come help us. Hold the rope. There are over 8 billion people in this world, and Jesus died for every one of them. I still remember, I still remember. About 20 years ago, I was in a pastor's meeting, and one of our senators, Senator Sam Nunn, came to speak to the pastors. He was a Christian. He had just returned from a trip to Sarajevo. He shared with us this story. He said, we were making our tours and we had got off and, and pulled over and had stepped out of the car where the man was driving. Our chauffeur waited for us to do some filming. The media was behind us. And as I stepped out of the car, a sniper's bullet rang out. And the sniper's bullet struck the head of a little boy in front of us. And he crumbled to the sidewalk. 
He said a man right there reached down and picked him up. And he cried out to me and to our driver, hurry, he's still alive. And he got in our car and we got behind him and we sped off, headed to the hospital. As we were going, he shouted to the driver, hurry, he's still breathing. Finally, we pulled up into the emergency and they opened the door and got him out. But as he got out, they pronounced him dead. And the old man began to weep. Senator Sam Nunn said he he didn't know what to say. Here's this man weeping. The blood of that little boy was all over his khaki pants and on the senator. And the senator said he didn't know what to say. He just said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about the loss of your son. The man wiped tears from his face. He said, he's not my son. Then suddenly Sam Nunn, the senator, said, what? You mean we picked up the son of somebody? He's not your son, and we don't know where his parents are, and we took him to the hospital. He's not your son? And then the old man said, aren't they all ours? Church, aren't they all ours? we got to quit making excuses and start making a difference. Jesus died for all of them. That's what motivates us to give. That's what motivates us to shift in this paradigm shift. As a world-class Christian, in conclusion, we must have a heart for the world. We must understand the Great Commission is our mission. And we must remember that a life of eternal significance is the secret to eternal joy. In 1904, William Borden, he was the heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. He graduated from Chicago High School as a millionaire. His parents gave him a trip around the world, traveling through Asia, the Middle East, Europe. And it actually gave Borden a burden for the world's hurting people. Riding home to his parents, he says, I've made a decision. I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. And when he made this decision, he wrote in the back of his Bible, on that little blank page in the back of his Bible, he wrote two words, no reserves. Turning down... A high-paying job offer after graduation, he entered two more words in his Bible. No retreats. Completing his studies at Princeton, Borden sailed for China to work with the Muslims. He stopped first at Egypt for some preparation, and while he was there, he was stricken with cerebral meningitis, and he died within a month. You say, what a waste. Not in God's plan. Because in his Bible, underneath the words, no reserves, no retreats, he wrote the word, no regrets. This meeting is almost over. 
let us approach it with no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. And finally, as a world-class Christian, we must personally get involved. We must do it by praying. We must do it by giving. We must do it by going. Psalm 67 said, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause its face to shine upon us. Selah. That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. As I'm speaking, a paradigm shift is about to take place. May God help each of us to become a world-class Christian. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, please today, give your heart to Jesus Christ. Pastor. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.